Good to see everyone this morning. God is good all the time. And he is being good to us this morning. Uh, just a couple of things I wanted to mention here before we get started. Number one, that thing is happening at Gaddy's, that uh, <clears throat> Breaking Chains fundraiser. Um, let me explain to you how that works. Uh, Jared McRae and Corey Hamilton are going to be busboys at that restaurant from 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. on this particular time. And uh, so that, that's kind of part of the program. And we want to go down and mess up the tables, okay, and make a, re- a really good mess and harass them and give them, so they have a good time. And there's going to be a tip jar uh, for them. And if you put money in that tip jar, not only do, do they get some of the money off of the food purchases, but everything that goes in the tip jar also goes to breaking chains. So we can go down there and we can eat, have a good time, harass Jared and Jamie, uh, Jared and Corey, and uh, put a lot of money in the tip jar, and we'll do something really good for uh, that ministry there in Honduras. The other thing I wanted to mention was some good news I got just before uh, church started, and that is Teresa Havens is with us today. Uh, that's uh, Kathy Forbes' uh, uh, sister, and uh, you know she's been on our prayer list for about a year ago, something like that, we, we found out that she had been diagnosed with cancer. And uh, she found out in the last day or two that she is now cancer-free. She's here with us. And <laughs> couldn't happen to a nicer person, okay? <laughs> and uh, we, we really are happy for her and for the family. And we praise God for the healing that he's given. All right, uh, we are continuing our study of the Holy Spirit. Um, and just to kind of get back into this thing, I'm going to dip back a little bit, just make a few comments about what we've covered in the past. Do you remember on, on the night before Jesus was crucified, he had some things to say to his disciples. And one of the things he said to his disciples had to do with the Holy Spirit. He told them, he says, you know, the Holy Spirit is with you now, but he shall be in you. And Jesus was telling his disciples that something was going to happen, something different was about to happen so far as the ministry of the Holy Spirit was concerned. Not only just with his people, with God's people, the Holy Spirit will be in God's people. That's a whole different thing. And in our New Testament, on this side of the cross, we have the blessing of having the Holy Spirit dwell within us, not just with us, but he's actually in us, guiding us and helping us along the way. We then talked about the work of the Holy Spirit, and there are lots of places we could turn to in the New Testament to uh, catch a glimpse of what the Holy Spirit does. But we looked at John 16, 7 through 15. Again, this is the night before Jesus is crucified, and he says to his disciples, you know, the the Holy Spirit is coming. I'm sending him to you. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm leaving, but I'm going to send him. He'll be your friend, your comforter. And this is what he's going to do. He's going to convict the world. This is what the Holy Spirit will do. He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And then he says, just a few verses later, he says, and the Holy Spirit that I'm giving to you is going to guide you into all the truth. Things I'd like to say to you now that I can't, he's going to guide you into all the truth. And that guidance that was given to the apostles is now ours in our New Testaments. That's where our New Testaments come from. And then he says also, he said, my job is not to glorify myself. Uh, but to glorify my Father. The Holy Spirit's not going to glorify himself. He will glorify the Father. So those three things uh, Jesus uh, specifies to us 
as being the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and there, were, uh, there are other things. I'm not saying that's it. But we just kind of concentrated on, on that one passage. We then looked at, at, at the great command that's found in Ephesians 5, 18 and 19. It says, do not be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. It's one of those things that's commanded, be filled with the Spirit. And man, I tell you, those are like, that's like a foreign language to us in the churches of Christ. Be filled with the Spirit. Well, what does that mean? And we, we did talk about that. Uh, and we talked about what it is and how it happens and when it happens. And, and there are, that's one of those commands we just need to work on, letting the Spirit fill us up and, and be a, a part of our daily lives. And then we had a lesson about being led by the Spirit. Of course, the Spirit leads us uh, through the inspired Word. Uh, everything that we have in our New Testament has come through the Spirit. And when we follow those words, we follow those teachings, we're being led by the Spirit. We're, we're led by the Spirit when we pray for wisdom and God gives it. Not everything in life is, uh, uh, that, that you're going to face is cut and dry and just spelled out in the New Testament. Sometimes there's stuff that falls through the cracks. Things that are very personal, decisions that have to be made. We pray for wisdom. And when the God's wisdom comes in, we're being led by the Spirit when we listen to that wisdom and we go with it. We're being led by the Spirit when we allow God's providential hand to lead us. And we looked at the, uh, the uh, second missionary, missionary journey of Paul and Silas, how God systematically closed door after door after door and then opened the door where they were to go on that journey. That's how God operates today. He leads us by... Uh, taking away opportunities that we think we might have. He just closes that door, but he opens another one. And sometimes that thing he opens to is just marvelous, wonderful, great. So let's just kind of catch us up with where we are. Today, we're talking about something that's very similar to the idea of being led by the Spirit. We're, we're looking at the phrase, walking by the Spirit. And there's a couple uh, preliminary things I want to say to you before we get into this, about this walking by the Spirit. That exact phrase is not all that common in the New Testament. Maybe three or four times you will find that word in the English Bible, walking by the Spirit. Two of those times is right here in, in Galatians chapter 5 where we read our scripture. One is over in Romans chapter 6, I believe it is, or Romans chapter 8. Uh, you'll see uh, walking according to the Spirit. It's not that exact phrase, but walking according to the Spirit. But I, I wanted to just point this out to you that there are many phrases in our New Testament which are the practical equivalent or very close in meaning to this idea of walking by the Spirit. For instance, I'm going to put some phrases up here. Uh, when the Bible talks about walking, uh, 2 Corinthians 5 and 7, we, we're, we're told we should be walking by faith. Uh, 3 John verse 4, we are to be walking in the truth. 1 John 1, 7, we're to walk in the light. Uh, Colossians 4, 5, walking in wisdom. Romans chapter 6 and verse 4, walking in newness of life. And what I want to say to you is that walking by the Spirit is very much like all of those things, and all of those things will be included in walking by the Spirit. They, they overlap, and they're, uh, they're the practical equivalent in many ways. When the Bible talks about our walk as Christians, we could go on to another, another grouping here where we're told in Ephesians 5 and 2 to walk in love. 1 Thessalonians 4 and 12, walking honestly. Colossians 1.10, walking worthy of the Lord. Ephesians 5.15, walking circumspectly. All of those things would be included in walking by the Spirit. And walking by the Spirit overlaps with all of those things. 
And so it, it, it's, uh, uh, the best way I can, I can explain this is all of those things are another way of saying what the Bible teaches in that phrase, walking by the Spirit. And it's very much like looking at a diamond. Uh, uh, I, I don't know if, if it's not a diamond, it's glass. Okay, don't get excited. Uh, <laughs> but when, uh, in 2002, uh, my family, we all took a trip to Washington, D.C. And one of the places you want to go is always the Smithsonian Institute. And uh, at the Smithsonian, in the Museum of Natural History, they had on display at that time the Hope Diamond. And I've got a picture of that, a slide. If uh, Thank you. Thank you, Jacob. Uh, that's a picture of it. Uh, it's, it's not the biggest diamond in the world, but it may be the most famous. But they had it on display there. And you, you see all of those little edges, those what they call facets. Uh, those facets, I think, represent uh, how the Bible teaches. You have this one beautiful uh, diamond, so to speak. And as you turn and you look at one facet after another, you're still looking at the same diamond. But you're looking at uh, the light is reflected, refracted just a little bit differently. Still looking at the same diamond, but it looks a little different when you turn it side by side just a little bit. Uh, a standard cut for diamonds is to put 58 faces, 58 facets on, on, on the diamond. But it's all the same diamond. The Bible is a repetitious book. The Bible teaches us the same thing over and over and over again. It's the same diamond, but it's turned just a little bit. We are very much into certain facets on this diamond. That, that, that's what we're about. We have kind of picked out the facets that we want to look at and talk about, and we're very comfortable with talking about those facets. But there, there are some facets on this diamond that we have not talked about very much or looked at very often, and it's because other groups have kind of picked up on those words, those terminologies, and they've given it a meaning that is not acceptable to us. So we don't even talk about those things anymore. One of the reasons we've gotten into the study of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit is kind of one of those areas we've stayed away from. And, and I, I just want you to know that walking by the Spirit it's not something mysterious. It's not something uh, weird or unusual. It's something we ought to be talking about. And so we're, we're going to talk this morning about uh, walking by the Spirit. The same truth is being repeated in many different ways. And walking by the Spirit is, the, is a facet of the larger truth. The larger truth that God is present in his people and with his people. It's described in many different ways. But it's just that simple truth that God is with his people. He never leaves us alone. He's with us constantly. So the other thing I wanted to say to you, that, that's the first thing. That, that exact phrase is not all that common, but there's all these other uh, phrases that kind of enter into it that's very similar. The other thing I wanted to mention to you is that walking, that word walking is like a literal translation. I'm looking at Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16. And in the more literal translations of the English, of the, of the Greek New Testament, the word that's always used is walk. But I say walk by the Spirit. That word is fairly common in, in, in the New Testament, and it means to walk about, uh, to, to take a little stroll around the block, to go about your life, so to speak. But he says, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. It literally means to walk about. And the reason I'm telling you this is you might be reading from a modern translation that's not so literal. 
And when you turn to Galatians 5.16, you won't even see the word walk. And you're going to think I'm crazy because I'm, I'm using that as like a text to get started here. But in, in the more literal translations like the King James, the New American Standard, the Revised Standard, the NIV, when you look at Galatians 5.16, you will definitely see the word walk. And so you may be reading out of a different translation this morning, and then that's fine. Now the question is, what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? I want to start by reading this whole text. It's Galatians 5, 16 through 26. It was read to us just a, just a moment ago, but uh, this is just going to kind of help us get started here. Galatians 5, 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you just as I forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, and joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with, the passion, with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. So here's the question this morning. What does it mean to walk by the Spirit? Two times in that passage we looked at this morning, we saw that, that term, walking by the Spirit. And there's three points I want to make here this morning as, as, as we look at this. First of all, to walk by the Spirit means to walk by the path that's been laid out by the Spirit. If you're walking by the Spirit, you're walking a certain path. There's a certain lifestyle that you are going to, uh, a certain path you're going to travel. So in Galatians 5, 19 and 20, you're 19, 20, and 21, here are things on a path that will not show up on the path that the Spirit, if you're going to walk by the Spirit, you won't find. They say this is not the path the Spirit has laid out. So here's the things that are not on that path. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, so on and so forth. I read it just a, just a few minutes ago. And I'm going to tell you something. In the, in the next week or two, I think we'll probably come back to uh, this particular passage here. I'm going to talk about uh, some of those words there. Some of those words are very interesting. And they cover, cover some territory that you might not imagine would be covered uh, by those words. We read them. We just pass over them. It, it just blasts right on through that. There's some words here that are worth stopping and taking a look at and thinking about. I'm not going to do it this morning, but I just want to say the path which is laid out by the Spirit, you're not going to be passing or going through any of that stuff right there. That's not on the path. Now, the next verses are called the, fruit of the fruits of the Spirit. And that is the path that the Spirit has laid out. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, this is not everything that's on the path that the Spirit has laid out for us. But walking by the Spirit would include everything that the Spirit teaches us to do or to be as Christians, as children of God. To walk by the Spirit is to live out the teachings given us by the Spirit in our Bibles. To seek God's will in the specifics of life. You know, it's not just 
what's here in, in the word, but sometimes we have to pray that prayer asking for God's wisdom and guidance about what the decision that we have to make. And when he gives it, then we listen to it. We're being led by the Spirit. We're walking according to the Spirit or walking by the Spirit. Now, there are two paths here that are described here in Galatians 5. But Jesus talks about these two paths in his own ministry and in his own teaching. It's Matthew 7, 13 and 14. And I want to point out something to you. This is what Jesus said. Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Jesus describes two different paths a person can travel in life. There's one that's narrow, one that's hard, one that requires uh, some discipline and maybe doing some things you don't really want to do. Uh, it's not in your nature necessarily, but you, you're going to do it. And that's the path that leads to life. That would also be the path that's being laid out by the Spirit. Uh, if you walk by the Spirit, then you're on that path. And then there's this other path that's wide and easy, and there's all kinds of people going down this path. And, and we, we, we see this path being, I mean, it's like a superhighway. There's a lot of people traveling on this path, but that's not the path that the Holy Spirit's laid out for us. It's a path which is easy, but at the end of it is destruction. So, Jesus points out that the path to life is narrow and hard. The path to destruction is wide and easy. And, and I guess this is what I want to say. To walk by the Spirit is not necessarily an easy thing. And if we were to try to do this on our own power, under our own steam, we will fail. And I have had a lot of failure in my life. And I'm going to talk about this a little bit later here. But this description of these two paths and how, how easy it is to be on one path and how, how uh, seductive it is as opposed to this other path, which is narrow and difficult. And how, you know, you just look at that and say, no, I don't think I want to go that way. It, it's just so much easier to go this way. Sometimes it's inconvenient to be a Christian. Just so much easier to get on the path where everyone else is moving down the road and to stay with them. But that brings me to the second thing here. Not only does the Spirit uh, lay out a path for us to walk, but the Spirit also gives us a, a power to walk that path. And so it, it, this path, which is narrow and hard, the Spirit offers us the power, the strength, the focus, the resolve to walk the path and to stay on the path all the way to the end. This is something we could never do on our own. There's just too many distractions along the way. There's too many discouragements along the way. It's just too easy to get off that path. And, and, and then there's the easy path just over here not too far away. And, man, that path just keeps calling out to us. Hey, what are you doing over there? Man, come on, cut yourself some slack. Get over here. Get on the superhighway. Get on the downhill slope. And uh, I guess what I'm saying, uh, our whole life is a struggle to stay on the right path, the path which the Holy Spirit has laid out for us. And that's why Paul gives this instruction in chapter 5 and verse 16. But I say walk by the Spirit. And you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. What I want to point out to you is that every one of these people that Paul is talking to in, the, in this Galatian church, every one of them are people who have set out on the path. They're Christians. 
They crucified the old man in baptism. Uh, they died to themselves. They crucified the old man. And they began to walk this path. They began to walk by the Spirit. And so all of these people are here. And, and why does Paul do this? It's because people need reminding of the path that they're walking. That's why we're here today. That's why we're going to meet tonight. That's why we're going to meet on Wednesday night. That's why you read your Bible. It takes a constant reminding of where the path is and, and what the path is about in order to stay on the path. And more than that, it takes power. It takes strength to remain on that path, a power and a strength which we do not have. So how does this work? Well, this is uh, something I think, uh, most, I think most of you men can relate to. Uh, especially you older men. Have you ever driven a car? You have to go back a ways to actually experience this. You ever driven a car that didn't have power steering? Or driven a truck that didn't have power steering? I got, I got an 87 Ford pickup truck. And my, it's got a power steering on it, but the pump leaks. So every now and then, when the pump is dry, I'm getting in that thing. And, man, I'm going to tell you, there's a big difference between power steering with the, when the fluid's in there and it's actually working. And no power steering, just mechanical steering. I mean, you, you'll pop a gut. <laughs> just getting this truck turned around, or, especially if you're doing some tight work. You know, you're trying to back this thing up. You can, turn, you can hurt yourself just trying to do that. Or how about power-assisted brakes? Now, I, I don't know if they even make a car that doesn't have power-assisted brakes these days. But I got, I got a 78 Ford F-350. I don't think they'd even thought about power brakes back in those days. But, but uh, I'm telling you, getting that truck stopped is something that no, no power brakes. And, and it, it, it's all you pushing on the pedal, and you cannot stop that truck on a dime like you can a car, a car or a truck that's got the power, the power assist. It's, it's just everything I can do to get that thing stopped sometimes. Well, there's a big difference between, you know, no power and power. And I guess this is how I want you to think, think about this. When we have the Spirit, we have what I'll call power-assisted living. Okay? It's, it's not that, uh, it's not that the, uh, the Holy Spirit is taking over and making you do something, making you do that, making you just, you know, taking it all out of your hands. That's, that's not it. You do still have to steer. You do have to put on the brakes. But when you do steer in the right direction and when you do put on the brakes, when you need to put on the brakes, there's a power assist. It's not just you putting on the brakes. It's not just you steering the steering wheel. You get an assist. And I'm telling you, there's a world of difference here. So when we decide to do the right thing, when we are on that path that's been laid out by the Spirit for us, we experience power-assisted living, or we ought to. The Bible talks about this in another way in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. This is Paul, of course, writing to the Philippian church. They're all Christians. He says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. In other words, you, you obey whether I'm around or not. That's good. Here's what he says. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He says, okay, I want you to understand. There's a part of this that's up to you. Work it out. You've, you've got to make the decisions. You've got to, you've got to commit yourself. You, work it out. It's up to you. But then he goes on to say, listen to this, for it is God who is at work in you, 
both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He says, you've got to work it out. And here's why I want you to work it out. Because when you work it out, when you get headed in the right direction, putting the brakes on in the right place, steering, it, steering your truck in the right direction, God is at work in you. God is at work in you. Both to want it and to work for his good pleasure. He's talking about power-assisted living. He's not, I don't see the word Holy Spirit there. It's not there. But again, it's another one of those things where we're just turning the diamond just a little bit to another facet. We're talking about the same thing. It's just another facet on the diamond, but looking at the same thing. So, and if I could say these words in another way, it would, it would sound something like this. God won't do it without me. And I can't do it without him. I have to have him. But I also have to make the decisions. I also have to turn the wheel. I also have to touch the brake. But when I do turn the wheel, and when I do touch the brake, the power assist is there. That's a great truth. And when someone is walking by the Spirit, they are walking by the power of the Spirit to walk that path. It's not just the path. But there's a power assist as we're on the path. The power assist I'm talking about is never more than a prayer away. And when I read these words, Hebrews 4 and 16, again, it's one of those things where another facet. We're talking about the same thing, just looking at it from a different angle. Let us come boldly into the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Well, that grace to help in time of need is when we're going down the highway, when we need to stop, when we need to steer right or left. That's what the Spirit is about. To walk by the Spirit is to let the Spirit assist us in that right thing, to move on that path. And when I say this, I don't mean to say by this that the power assist is always a prayer away. I don't mean that at all because the Spirit is always with us. He's in us. But there are some times when we're more aware of the Spirit than others. Don't you find that to be true? I mean, there's some days when I'm wondering, you know, where's the Holy Spirit today? And there are other times when uh, I know, and I'm very aware that the Holy Spirit is is with me on my journey. I just want to say a few words to those of us who've been members of the Churches of Christ for a long time. And, And I'm talking about myself here as much as anything else because I've been a member for a long time. But one of our sins, one of our weaknesses, is that we've been so slow to accept and utilize the power of the Spirit. I've spent most of my Christian life feeling like it was all up to me. It was up to me to see what the Bible said, to make the decision, and then do it. And that pretty much summed up what my Christian life was about. I never took into account that maybe the Spirit was going to help, that there was a power assist. And I think... In a way, I was denying what the Bible, what God was trying to tell me in, the, in these words that I've looked at that we've been talking about here this morning. I, I, it wasn't that I was coming right out and saying, but, man, I tell you, there's no part of the Bible we ought to be afraid of. There's no part of the Bible we need to back up from. I don't care what anybody else in the world is saying about something that's in the Bible. I don't care how wrong they might be. We can still turn to the Bible. We can look at that thing and we say, hey, there's a truth here that I need to understand. And that's what we're doing here is we're talking about the Holy Spirit. So I've spent most of my life trying to walk the path without relying on the power assist of the Spirit. About 10 years ago, it came to me, 
And uh, Chuck Allison was with me when uh, I was walking out in the lot, and we were just talking out there. It was after service. And I don't know how this came up, but uh, uh, it, it was a, a, a conversation. It wasn't just surface. And, and I said to him, he, he said to me, Steve, how you doing? I said, well, yeah, I think I'm doing okay. But he said, I said, I've come to a conclusion, though. I said, uh, you know, I think I've been living most of my life out of myself, out of my own power. And I said, it's not going very well. I mean, I'm not saying that good things don't happen because good things do. God can take, you know, broken vessels and make, make good things happen. He does that all the time. But I said, you know, I, I keep reading this verse, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, where it says, therefore, let us come, let's go on to the next verse here, Ephesians 6 and 10. Therefore, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Uh, that verse tells me where my power is supposed to come from. But I said, I'm never tapping into that. I don't know what the deal is. How do you tap into that? And, and that be, made me begin to be strong. Where, well, how should I be strong? And we're in the Lord, in the power of his might. Okay, we're talking about the spirit again. Just turning the diamond just a little bit. We're talking about the spirit again. About walking by the Spirit. So to walk by the Spirit, this is what I want to tell you. To walk by the Spirit is to walk the path laid out by the Spirit. And it's also to walk the path by the power of the Spirit. Because it's a hard path. Okay? And we're not going to make it. <laughs> if we're trying to live out of our own strength and out of our own power. We have to have the assist. Okay, here's the third thing I want to tell you. This is, and then we're done. To walk by the Spirit is to walk at the Spirit's pace and to walk in step with the Spirit. Now, that's where we're going to go to Galatians 5 and verse 25. 5 and 25, that's what I read a little while ago when I read the whole passage. In the New American Standard Version, NASV, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. But here's what I'm going to tell you. That word walk right there is different from the word walk in almost every other place in the New Testament. All the other places, it's that word that means just walk around. This is a word for walk, translated walk by most of the English versions. That means to kind of walk in a row, walk in step, like if you were marching in a group and, you, and, and you're moving along and you were, had to stay in step because you were close to each other. You're grouped up. And if you get out of step, you're going to be walking on somebody's ankles. They're going to be walking on yours. Uh, or you're going to mess up somewhere or the other. Or, or it has to do with pace. To walk in, in pace at, at the same speed in, in, in the same relation to the Spirit. So you come to Galatians 5.25. You, you'll see this in the NIV and in the English Standard Version. Those are the two verses I've written just below parallel. Here's the NIV. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Keeping in step. That's that, that idea of marching along, being in step. And then Galatians 5.25 out of the ESV. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Man, I, I, I love the way the English Standard Version and the NIV have translated. Because there, there's a whole new thing that opens up here as, as you think about this. This word, as I say, used to denote marching in a row, in a line, keeping in step. And, and this is all very important if you're part of a larger group was following along like a church you know really important that we all get in step with the spirit that we all march in his pace 
Because here, uh, this is what I want you to see. It's possible to be headed in the right direction, but out of step. You ever see that happen? I was in band at Minford uh, High School, and uh, I, I was notorious for this. You're supposed to start, every time you started marching, um, in the marching band, you were supposed to start with your left foot. Well, sometimes I forgot which one was my left foot. And I would take off with my right foot, <clears throat> and that didn't work so well, okay? I was out of step. And if you have a line of people who are marching along on, on the football field, playing their instrument, and, and everyone's going their left foot's coming forward, and this one guy has got his right foot coming forward, he really sticks out, and it's a problem. And there are certain maneuvers you cannot make when you're out of step. If your left foot's forward, you can make that maneuver, but if your right foot is forward, you're going to fall down. You're going to hurt yourself. So here's what I'm saying. It's possible to be headed in the right direction, but be out of step with the Spirit. And so, kind of important to be in step with the Spirit, to get started on the right foot and to keep in step. And here's the other end of it. It's possible to be headed in the right direction, but not keeping pace with the Spirit. Now, Elijah is the prime example of this. If you go back to 1 Kings 17, 18, and 19, right in there, you're going to be reading about the ministry of, of the great prophet Elijah and how God came to him and said, hey, go to, go to Ahab, tell him there's going to be a drought for three and a half years, and then go hide. <laughs> well, well he, he didn't, uh, that's the short version. Uh, he, he did that. He did exactly. He's in step. He's, he's following right along with the Spirit. This is exactly what God told him to do. And, man, Elijah's right there, right at his side, just moving, just right there with God. Those three and a half years. Then God comes to him and says, hey, I want you to go now and show yourself to Ahab. Now that he wants to kill you. Been trying to kill you for three and a half years. Now I want you to go show yourself. And tell him that there's going to be rain now. After all. So uh, Elijah stays right with it. He stays in step. Then comes this big contest at Mount Carmel. Elijah's right in step. He's just right on pace with the Holy Spirit. They go to the top. The prophets of Baal are embarrassed. Humiliated, the whole nation's going, Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. You remember all that stuff that happened there on top of Mount Carmel. He's right in step. He's right, right, uh, just on the pace, right there at the, at the shoulder of the Holy Spirit. Then something happens. As soon as that's over with, and, and here comes the rain, and man, this is a glorious moment. Something happens with Elijah. I don't know what the deal is. But he comes down off that mountain, and for some reason, I do not understand this, he decides to run back to Jezreel. That's 20 miles away. Ahab is riding in his chariot on the same road. Elijah runs right by him. And I'm like, what in the world is this about? And some of the uh, commentators who have worked with this say, you know, we think that Elijah what didn't, wasn't just running ahead of Ahab and beating him to Jezreel. We think Elijah maybe got ahead of God, was running ahead of him. There was some pride here. He was humiliating Ahab. And that wasn't exactly where God was. So now he's, he started off his ministry uh, in, in pace with the Spirit, but now he's running ahead. When he gets back to Jezreel, he meets up with uh, Jezebel, who is the wife of Ahab. She's not impressed by anything Elijah's done. She tells him, hey, if, you know, cut my hair off, uh, you know, paint me orange. If you're not dead by tomorrow. And all of a sudden, Elijah, the great prophet who faced down the, the, all of these prophets, he's shaking in his boots and he runs off out in the middle of nowhere. And now he's not ahead 
He's not with the Spirit. He's not ahead of the Spirit. He's actually, uh, he's actually behind. He just stopped. He's sitting there all depressed and moaning and groaning and feeling sorry for himself. And I'm the only one left. And, and it takes God two or three weeks to kind of get him out of it. He ends up in a, in a cave. And uh, God ministers to him. And finally, he kind of snaps out of it. God brings him out of it. And he says, I want you to go and anoint two kings and a prophet. And Elijah gets back in step with the Spirit. He's back in pace. That's his ministry. You can divide his ministry into those four pieces. In step, uh, uh, running ahead, uh, stopped, depressed, out of step, and then back in step. You could preach the whole sermon on Elijah right there. But anyway, Elijah is the prime example of a guy who was in pace and then got out of pace, got out of step with the Lord, and then finally got back in. Here's what I want to tell you. You can be headed in the right direction, but not keeping pace with the Spirit. And that's going to be a problem. That's going to be a problem for you. It's going to be a problem for the church. It's going to be a problem in your marriage. The Holy Spirit has a pace for your life. I suspect that some of us are way out ahead here, <laughs> and the crash is coming. And I suspect that some of us are already sat down and we're moaning and groaning and feeling sorry for ourselves. And, you know, well, where's God? And I suspect that some of us are, are right there. Right there with the Spirit where we ought to be. But God has a pace for our, our lives. He has a pace for this church. A pace for our marriage. A pace for family life, for our career, for the ministry we're involved in. And we're just creating problems for ourselves and, and, and the church and our families and everybody else when we get off the pace. We get ahead. We get behind. We forget to, or we just stop altogether. To walk by the Spirit is to be in step with the Spirit, to maintain the pace of the Spirit. So here we are. These, there's three facets of this phrase of walking by the Spirit. We walk the path that's laid out by the Spirit. And we walk that path by the power of the Spirit. We get the power assist. And we walk that path in step with the Spirit. We walk that path in pace with the Spirit. We don't get ahead of Him. We don't get behind Him. We stay with Him. And I think that's what it means to walk by the Spirit. Maybe there's someone here this morning that needs to confess the name of Jesus Christ, to confess your faith in Him. And if that's the case, man, this would be a beautiful day, a wonderful day to come forward to publicly and confess before all people yes i do believe jesus is son of god to repent of your sins and to determine to live for him from this day forward to make him lord to be baptized today to die to yourself to die with christ to be raised to a new life to have your sins forgiven to receive the holy spirit i mean that that's that that could all happen here in the next 15 20 minutes and that would be wonderful if it happened for you if there's someone here this morning who needs to respond to the gospel please come to the front we're going to sing a song. We're going to stand and sing that song. We're going to give you that opportunity to make that confession. Uh, let's all stand.